Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. All right, welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. Today, we have the opportunity to have Heather Lacey on the program. Heather and her husband, Scott, lived in Thailand for the last 10 years, and she founded a company called Breathe. Currently, Heather is the Director of Mobilization for Beautiful Feet Ministries. So welcome to the program, Heather. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. I've gotten a chance to talk with you and been really inspired by your story, and you and your husband had been in Thailand a long time, but now you're back in the States. So what does that look like? You know, is that correct? Yeah, we were in Thailand for 10 years and we ran a business called Breathe, Breathe Essential Oils. It's a business's mission company. Um, what that means is it's a profitable business, which also helps make disciples among the least reached places in the world. And so where we were, we're in Thailand. I miss it for sure. COVID hit. And unfortunately, we had to move back to America. Um, so it's definitely been culture shock coming back. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. It has been weird being around Americans again, speaking in English. So this is definitely a new phase of life for me, for sure. Wow. Reverse culture shock. A lot of people hear about that, but they don't <laughs> realize how significant it is when you come back. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, yeah. you guys have an interesting story. So can you share a bit of your backstory? You know, how did you and Scott end up starting a company in Thailand? Tell us a little bit about the nature of it and, you know, what led to that? Uh, that's, that's not everybody just ups and starts a company in a foreign country. So there's got to be a little bit of a story to that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, well, we both have backgrounds in finance. And okay. so when we were looking at moving overseas, of course, we have a heart to make disciples. We wanted to use our business expertise for good, right? Um, but my husband, before I met him, spent a couple of years in India. And he was there um, working with some refugees and stuff like that. And the company he went with at the time told him to tell people to be on a tourist visa, that he was huh, on a tourist interesting. visa. And over the two years, he really struggled to build relationships. Because if you're on a tourist visa, people in their mind think, hey, I'm going to get to know you for two weeks, and then you're going to leave. Right. And so this created a big identity problem for him. So he said, if we ever go back overseas, it has to be for business so we can be a legitimate part of the community and not seen as a foreigner or a tourist. Right. And so that's what we did. So we went to Thailand, um, and we started a business and God opened up doors I never thought were possible. And it's really neat to be able to say like, yeah, we have a business that's making disciples in Thailand. How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah. And then you also have the authenticity card in place because you're, you're adding value <laughs> in the community. You're employing people, you're providing opportunities. Yep. Uh, you're delivering a yep. good and goods and services that are legitimate and and desired. Yes. So you guys are running legitimate business and uh, mm -hmm. like you said, profitable business and really in the middle of it in the country. And did you guys both dive into learning Thai to do this? Like, was that a big part of your journey? 
Yeah, actually, all the business is done in Thai. Okay. So it's not done in English at all. And so because we wanted to create a business to where eventually we could leave and leave it to the locals. Um, and so although it hit, we left a lot sooner than we expected, right. if I'm honest. So one of the um, challenges of doing business in Thailand is that in order to get a business visa, you have to have four full-time employees per foreigner business visa. So that means when you start a company, you can't start small scale. You oh, have to start with at least eight employees, which creates its challenges because that's a lot of capital. You have to raise right, right off it right in the beginning for the infrastructure in order to handle all of those employees. Well, with COVID, we lost 87% of our business overnight. So we had right. to lay off some of our employees, which is why we lost our business. Visa. Interesting. Um and so that's ultimately what moved us back to America was because we lost our business visa because of COVID. Um, but the girls are killing it. And so the employees we have now, I mean, it's like they just, they were like, okay, we can do this. And wow. they just kind of stepped up to the plate. It's it's incredible. I help now with some English translation here or there and orders and maybe an Instagram, Instagram post or something like that. Um, but really... They're the ones that do everything right so now. So what you guys? And so we're trying to rebuild. Yeah. So you guys are rebuilding, and and if I hear you correctly, you know mm -hmm. you you had to lay off people, so you lost visas, uh, which is a really strange business dynamic. Like talk about risk mitigation. Like you don't really think about that when you're trying to operate a company in the West, where hey, if something happens right. to our revenue here. Uh, not only do we have to fire people, but I have to leave the country because I can't legally yes, be exactly. here. So that's going to really help your business model a lot here if the owner and the Yay. leaders have to leave. Uh, so you're dealing with some really strange dynamics running a business in this environment. And uh, and yet you found, if I hear you right, that when you left the country on basically short notice and under duress, you had actually been able to stand up a company that could operate on its own and that had people yeah. in place. and it sounds to me like that, that even though it happened really fast, that was actually a testimony to a lot of good work you guys did in the lead up, how you operated. Going through that experience and seeing that it, you know, even under duress with COVID and stuff, things stood up well and continued and are, are doing well. Like what was a daily regular mm -hmm. basis life when you're running a business in this environment? I mean, it's very similar as far as like work hours go. You know, you go to show up to work, you hang out with your employees, you hang out with on break. Um, that's when we really were able to talk about Jesus a lot, of course, is on break, which is also a benefit. Side note, one of the pros of having a, a business full time in Thailand is the fact that we got to hang out with people more than any other Jesus right. follower did because we worked alongside them. Yeah, you're naturally and integrated. We, <laughs> right. Yeah. And What's neat too is if we had a girl come for training and then she left to a new job, she took the gospel with her. We wow. modeled how to work a job and how to be a disciple of Jesus. And so it was natural disciples making disciples making disciples. Right. It's just the gospel went with the employees as they moved on, um, which oh, was great. really cool in the midst of this. And your question was like, what was daily life like? I think. Other than maybe the weird, like, you know, speaking, you know, speaking Thai, having language classes, doing visa runs. I mean, that's obviously different than in America. Yeah. So I think one thing that's really different between 
business in Thailand and business in America is the value proposition. Hmm. So in America, when you're doing business, you want to get the best bang for your buck, right? Right. And that's pretty much the only thing you're concerned about. Well, in Thailand, there's this added value in the form of shame and honor. Does your product bring my family honor? Wow. And so that is something that is very different because are you bringing honor to the family? Because if so, they'll pay more for your product or your service. Wow, interesting. And so that's something different as far as just figuring out not only how to make a good product, but how to bring honor to the town, to the village, to family units as well. Well, that's not something that you probably get a course in in university on business. You know, <laughs> that's, no. that that is a little bit of no. an eye opener to cross cultural business uh, experience. That's really interesting. So, yeah. in the midst of that, you know, what would you say like your biggest challenges were, and maybe your biggest wins in like your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think for sure the challenges were just starting mid scale, right? Like okay. we couldn't start small. I think that was really hard, the visa situation. Um, the language, it took us about four years to learn the language yeah. well enough to communicate even just halfway who we are, who Jesus is, you know what I mean? And Much less like, run a business, well right? Enough. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, and then to make sure the business is in Thai, all in Thai, right? And so it took a while. Um, wow. I think the biggest win was being able while we were working to just during breaks, talk about Jesus and model this idea of working a job and being a Jesus follower. Right. And seeing how easy that allows the gospel to move forward. Wow. Because then it's like, okay, I can, I can work a job and talk about Jesus. And the next person can work a job and talk about Jesus. And then all of a sudden the gospel is just, Disciples making disciples right. making disciples, and that was a really big win. I feel like um, yeah. being able to do that in a place where there's not a church and paid clergy is not an option, right? Right. And so, um, I think that was a big win for sure. Man, that's incredible. Okay, so here's you know here's an interesting question or area I want to dive in on. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know there are a lot of women in the body of Christ who God has gifted as yes. leaders and entrepreneurs yourself included and i often you know discover mm-hmm. that they're also wired for purposeful work or missional work you could say so a lot of them may hear your story or what we're talking about here and be like you know i wonder if i could do that is that something i could do and especially as a woman you know there might be some concerns going into this so i think it's inspiring for them to hear what your experience <laughs> so the question you know they might ask is, you know, would you have had a harder or easier time trying to do this as a man, just business in general, maybe not even your particular company, Mm -hmm. but doing a professional leadership role? You know, was gender an issue? How did culture and worldview Mm -hmm. play into that? Like, what was that experience? Mm -hmm. Um, I love this question. Um, So one thing, I think you and I have talked about this before, just like, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, like serve Jesus in the way that you're gifted and talented. Yeah. You know, he gives us gifts and talents for a reason. And so I am a good business person. So I use that in Thailand. Um, But one interesting thing that happened that we didn't know before we moved over there is that Thailand is actually a matriarchy. Hmm. 
Um, so that, describe that to people who don't know what a matriarchy is. That's a weird <laughs> word. <laughs> okay. So um, a patriarchy is America. So in general, uh-oh, are we going to get political a little bit? I hope not. Um, <laughs> I'm going to just barely touch on this. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, um, so a patriarchy in general gives opportunities to men. And culturally, men are the workforce. Like it is common in America that the man is the breadwinner. Now that right. is changing and shifting, but that's technically a definition of a patriarchy in Thailand. Women are the breadwinners. Hmm. Women are the breadwinners. They are the workforce. And so me as a business person, it was very easy for okay. me to come in, start a company, work a job and be a lead discipler. It was, it fit in the culture very right. well. Um, and so coming back to America, of course, it's very different after living in a matriarchy versus living in a patriarchy. I didn't realize the differences because I think I just was functioning in my role that God had given me. Right. Mm. So I was just, I was doing business. I was sharing the gospel. I was making disciples and I was in my sweet spot right. with the Lord, which is something really cool. Um, but I do think that it was beneficial. Um, now Thailand publicly is seen as a patriarchy. So if you look up any research, but once you get under the surface, you understand that women are the workforce and women are how the gospel are going to really is women are how the gospel is really going to take off um, in Thailand. And so if you have a woman who wants to work a job, who wants to take a job in Thailand, talk about a great opportunity to also share the gospel because that's who's listening and right. who's changing the culture in Thailand. It's the women. Wow. So cultural, cultural structures and worldviews really matter in these equations, it sounds like. Because I know that in some yes. places in the world, culturally, you probably wouldn't have had the same opportunity to operate the way you were doing. I mean, some countries are very difficult for women. Uh, to operate in, mm-hmm. in the type of roles you're in. And it's very different in whatever culture you're in. Absolutely. Right. That's why being culturally educated is so important if you're going to take a job or start a business overseas. And I would even say being biblically informed is not enough. You have to be culturally informed as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if you're speaking, say, to someone that's considering this kind of trajectory in life or a calling like this, um, you know, what would be one or two very practical steps for them to start getting culturally uh, engaged and aware? You know, because I, I, I would think there's some general principles that could be applied because obviously most people are feeling these kind of calling and direction. They don't even know where they're going yet, but there's a general yeah. need for that cultural preparation or the ability to, you know, what people call cultural quotient or CQ, you know, be culturally intelligent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how would mm-hmm. you, uh, what would you say to somebody who's in that situation that's considering this direction overseas? How do you prep or how do you take active steps in this? So I think, I think there are three things if okay. I could talk about yeah. this that I would say, like if someone was going to take a job where it's a different culture or start a business in a different culture. And I think the first thing would be have a clear identity. Okay. Um, why are you there? Now, typically, 
you're probably already doing what your identity is. Let me explain. So like you are gifted and talented for a reason. And so if you are gifted, if you're gifted in geriatrics, let's say there are many jobs in Thailand where you can do that job in Thailand, be gifted at that and bring the gospel. And when you walk into a culture, you have a clear identity on, Hey, I came to Thailand to work a job. That's great. I think where people struggle is if their identity isn't clear within the first seven seconds of meeting somebody like Mm. Scott, for instance, he met someone and he said, I'm here on a tourist visa. That identity closes you off to relationship. And so if the identity is not clear and understood in the culture you're moving to, then nobody wants to get to know you. And a wall is built unintentionally. Mm. I share this story when I'm speaking um, sometimes And it's about a Muslim man and a Southern farmer. Now, when I bring up Muslim man, we get an image in our mind, right? right? We imagine his skin color, the clothes that he's wearing. And then if I say a Southern farmer, we also get an image in our mind, the house, the land, what he's wearing, the color of his skin, and maybe even his political views, right? Well, imagine that this Muslim, this Muslim man moved to America next door to the Southern farmer. And he walks up to his front porch and he says, hi, nice to meet you. I'm here to share my religion with you. How do you think the Southern farmer is going to (laughs) respond? Probably not very well, right? Yeah. Why? Because he looks weird. He talks different. And culturally, he's probably really scared of him, right? He's, he's probably going to shut the door in his face. Well, what if the Muslim man moved next door and instead of saying, I'm here to share my religion with you, said, hey, I'm new in town. I see that you planted wheat here. I was thinking of planting corn. Is this a good, is this land good to plant this crop? Can you teach me how to survive here? Right. The Southern farmer would probably respond a lot better because the identity is understandable. Now, that is for some reason, as Americans, as Westerners, we think we can just go move to a place. And the first words out of our mouth are, I'm here to share my religion with you. (laughs) And it's going to be well received. And no, it's not. Yeah. Um, And that's why identity is important. To have an identity of, hey, I'm here to learn about your culture, to work here, to have a job, to work alongside you. And so that way a wall is dropped and you can start to enter into relationship. So I think the first thing would be a clear identity. And then I think the second thing would be be culturally educated. Um, I think you have to understand how a Southern farmer would view a Muslim man. You have to do research on that. Right. And if you're going into a culture and you don't know how Americans are viewed, that is going to hurt you. Spend time being culturally educated. What does shame and honor actually mean in Thailand? Sure. Take time understanding that. So that way you don't have a product that shames your neighbors. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> your business, you might have the best product in the world and it takes off in America. But then it shames your neighbors in Thailand and it will not work, right? Right. And then I think the third thing is to understand the message that you're actually sharing. What is the gospel? 
what is the message we're sharing? Um, I think the message that we're sharing is a proclamation of the king and a demonstration of the kingdom. Right. And in America, we understand John 3.16, a proclamation, really easy. But what does demonstration mean? And how can we demonstrate the gospel alongside the people that we are working with? I think those would be the three things I would say. Man, those are really valuable. I think that I think that people probably uh, have never heard that before. A lot of folks, I think that's oh. a, a great deposit into this audience and into people that are considering this direction. You guys really care about people in a holistic sense. I mean, we're talking about demonstrating yeah. the gospel, the kingdom here. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your intent and your work and your calling was to help people become followers of Christ. How would you guide other kingdom entrepreneurs, you know, to help them make disciples cross-culturally while working a real job? Do you have a few like practicals? Because not everybody's probably Mm going to go start their own company, but they may work in a foreign environment, a company that maybe doesn't have a kingdom culture. You know, what would be some uh, maybe principles or approaches that relate to, you know, if you're a job maker or a job taker would fit you both ways? Right. So Scott McKnight, Um, has a really great book called The King Jesus Gospel. And he talks about the difference between salvation culture and kingdom culture. Okay. And I think that's a huge key in when you're working alongside somebody, are you discipling salvation culture or kingdom culture? Salvation culture is John 3, 16, get them into the kingdom, get get them into a church, and then discipleship stops. Right. Kingdom culture says, hey, I'm going to walk alongside you, discipling you until you get the vision to where then you are making disciples. So the kingdom continues to expand. I would say with someone working alongside somebody, even in America, are you bought into kingdom culture or Hmm. are you still in salvation culture only? And that will make a big difference in how you make disciples in the place that you're at. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, those I would say would probably work locally, those concepts in the U.S. as well as internationally. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. that might hear this discussion are like, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I love my job. I'm called to work right here. You know, I'm in supply chain. God's called me here, you know, and not going to go anywhere else, so to speak. But, you know, how, do you feel that a lot of what we're discussing here is also relevant for a local context for people that are working locally? Oh in yeah. A, you know what? perhaps a corporation that's even hostile to Christianity. Absolutely. Let's say that you are working with someone who is Buddhist and you walk up to them and you have been taught in American culture, the way to disciple someone is to share John 3.16, right? For God to love the world, died for our sins, gave us eternal life. To someone who is culturally Buddhist, now I'm not saying someone who is born in America, but let's say someone maybe from Thailand that right. has moved here is culturally Buddhist. That verse immediately turns someone away from the gospel because they see eternal life as reincarnation, reincarnating over and over again for the mm. rest of their lives. And so being culturally educated before you spout out John 3, 16 as the first verse of an introduction to Jesus is very <laughs> important. Very important because the last thing we would want to do is turn someone away from Jesus, right? Right. Which is why being biblically informed is not enough. We have to be culturally informed as well. 
especially if we are going to reach people from different cultures and other religions. Yeah, absolutely. And you might even be around other Americans who are, you know, as off in their own views, you know, and worlds of religion that they've maybe even invented themselves that are not, uh, you know, that that might in itself have formed an alternative culture in a workplace you're in. Mm -hmm. And then you can apply the same skill set of the active listening, the cultural intelligence skills, how you're approaching it, but entering their culture would require similar skill set and similar approach. A learner's humble approach. Yeah. Being humble enough to listen and understand where they're coming from and learn first. Absolutely. Yeah. How to speak into it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I love that. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great, Heather. Thank you for being on the program and sharing these insights. And this is deep stuff. And I think it's going to really help people going <laughs> forward. So thanks for investing in the audience. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I have loved it. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.